I want to lay a little bit of a foundation. Sometimes when, uh, you know, Chris preaches through Scripture, through a book in the Bible, well, you're week by week, you're following that. But when I have the opportunity to come, I take something out of the middle of uh, a book, and I need to lay a little bit of a foundation this morning. Uh, sometimes uh, you'll find in life that you have adversity. Is that not true? I mean, we all have adversity, uh, misunderstood, uh, misquoted, misrepresented. And so uh, when you look at the Bible and you have instances in life and you go to the Scripture and you say, well, how do I find what God's will is concerning this particular thing? Well, God doesn't address every specific instance in your life in Scripture specifically. But what God does is he has principles embedded in passages that you can apply. And we're going to look at one of those this morning in 2 Corinthians 10. I, I probably have spent more time this week in trying to prepare this and had more difficulty in trying to get a handle on it. Uh, for whatever reason, it's been a difficult passage for me. Uh, not that I don't understand what Paul is saying in that 10th chapter. I understand that well. But then how do we make the application for what God wants you to hear today? Here's been my prayer this week is that God would anoint my mouth to give the message. He would anoint your ears to hear and your heart to understand. Because God wants to make application to each of us this morning. There's something in your life and mine that God wants to address, and His Spirit will make that application as we look at the Scripture. So every situation that we face, there's not a specific place where God addresses that. If He had, we could not contain all the books that He'd have to write. But we understand that in these passages there are principles, and we need to learn how to apply them. Now, the last time that I spoke about three weeks ago, I talked to you about Satan's method of how he will attack, attack us as individuals. And we looked at several places, but in 1 John, he talked about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so we know that there's a methodology in which Satan does when he comes to attack us as persons. But understand that he also orchestrates an attack against the body of Christ, against the church. And so today, as we're the, the body of Christ, we're the church that's come together, there's a tendency that Satan wants to destroy us and to create a disunity in the body. Now, once you're saved, he can't take away that salvation, can he? We believe in eternal security. We believe once saved, always saved. And when we're saved, we're saved. But Satan can come in and he can create a disharmony and a disunity in our lives. He can do that within the church itself, and he does that because he has such a hatred for God and for Christ, and he can't get to God, and he can't get to Christ, but he can get to us. And so we're the body of Christ, the Bible says. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you'll see he describes that. We're, we're gifted, we're members of the body of Christ, each gifted differently as God and Christ designed us to be put into the body. We're the bride of Christ. One day when this old world ends and the church is taken into heaven, there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb, and we're going to be the bride of Christ. A glorious picture. But Satan wants to destroy us, and he wants us not to be able to live for God the way that we should. Well, this was true in, in Corinth. So let me set a little bit of a stage for you. If you read the book of Acts and Paul's missionary journeys, you'll find that wherever he went and preached the gospel, people came to know Christ, 
and they established the church. When he came to Corinth, he stayed there 18 months, a little longer than the average stay, but he preached the gospel. They were saved, and he established the church. And then he went on his, his journey. But wherever Paul went, his critics would follow. They would come in the church behind him, and they would begin to undo what Paul had preached. Now understand, the church was formed out of Judaism in a, in a setting in the Jews where there was Judaism. And Paul has come now, and he preached Christ but he didn't put all the bondage and the baggage on them that Judaism had done, not all the legalism. And so they would follow in behind Paul, and they would begin to stir up the people. And so when you come and read the first letter that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you'll find there were four factions in the church at Corinth. Some said, we're followers of Paul. They were aligned with him because he was the one that was their spiritual father. He was the one that when he preached the gospel of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, they came to know Christ personally, and so they had an allegiance to Paul. But there were those that said, well, we're followers of Apollos. Apollos uh, came in after Paul, and, and he was an eloquent speaker. And we're going to look at some things about Paul, his, his person, his abilities, but Apollos was an eloquent speaker. He probably wasn't as well uh, theologically as Paul. Paul was a great theologian. But Apollos could speak eloquently. And so some aligned themselves with Apollos. And some said, well, we're, we're followers of Peter. You'd have to understand, Peter was that super apostle that was in Jerusalem. He was the one that preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people came to know Christ. And so some aligned themselves with Peter. And then was that super spiritual group says, we're not going to follow any of those, not Paul, not Apollos, not Peter. We're just of Christ. And so the church was fractured. These groups are there and Paul begins to write to them in his letters to correct some of these things. And Satan had caused these factions to come in the church. Well, when adversity comes, and we find in the 10th chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul is addressing the adversity that's come in his own life in the church at Corinth. It takes mental toughness. I, I think about that a lot. We, we watch sports and we see the things that go on in Somewhere we have to be mentally tough to withstand the attacks that Satan brings. We must know who we are in Christ. He's going to come and try to get us to doubt who we are. And if we don't understand who we are in Christ, then he's going to win a victory. And so we have to have that mental toughness and that spiritual toughness of understanding who we are in Christ. We must know the power that's available in Christ. My prayer for myself this morning is that I don't stand here in my power. If I do so, you might as well leave now. But there's a power that's available that God would anoint us to speak the word that he's given. So we have to know the power that God has given us, the power that's available to us if we're going to stand against the attacks of Satan. And we must not grow weary in the work of the Lord when we become exhausted, we're not nearly as mentally tough, spiritually tough. And so we have to depend upon the Lord in these things. Well, let me read to you the first five verses of 2 Corinthians 10. 
where Paul writes, Now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. I ask that when I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence with, with, with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Paul has been criticized. He's under attack. He begins to respond, and in the first previous uh, verses, uh, it's been Paul and another that he's writing. But now said Paul says, I myself want to urge you. I want to speak to you, and there's some things that he does. His position was being attacked. I want you to look with me. Turn to chapter 11 in verse 5. For he says, for I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. So that says that Paul understands there are some that are criticizing his apostleship. They're saying that there are those super apostles, people like Peter and James and John, those that had walked with Christ and those that were in Jerusalem where the church is. That they were more significant than Paul. And Paul now is understanding that his position in Christ is being attacked. His preaching was being attacked as well for he was not that skilled orator that maybe Apollos was. If you look with me in chapter 10 verse 10, we'll find here that it says, For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive, and his speech contemptible. Let me give you a couple examples this morning. I read an illustration once about C.H. Uh, Spurgeon. C.H. Spurgeon was called the Prince of Preachers. He was extremely elegant, eloquent. They built the Metropolitan Tabernacle just to con can uh, hold the, the crowds that came. It would seat 5,000 with 1,000 for standing room. So 6,000 people could come. And people literally would come and crowd that building Sunday after Sunday to hear Spurgeon preach. There was an occasion when Spurgeon wasn't going to be in the pulpit that day and he invited a guest speaker to come and you can imagine if you had traveled some distance and you were sitting out in the audience <clears throat> and you were awaiting this prince of preachers to come and to ascend the pulpit and to stand and open God's word that day and you had spent time and you were excited about it and all of a sudden some stranger comes and stands in the pulpit. And on this occasion the story goes that there was a man in the audience that when he saw the guest speaker ascend to the pulpit, he arose from his place where he was seated and began to walk out of the tabernacle. To which the speaker said, Sir, if you came today to hear word from C.H. Spurgeon, feel free to leave. 
But if you came today to hear a word from God, please be seated. So you have to understand, Paul was criticized for his inability to have eloquent speech. And sometimes God will take, if you go back and read 1 Corinthians, the first four chapters, you'll find that the Bible says there, God chose the foolish things to confound the wise. Paul may not have been the most eloquent preacher, but he was a man that God's hand was upon. And so he was unskilled in speech. Another illustration, uh, you've heard the words named Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards is related to the great awakenings that came in the United States. He preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And Jonathan Edwards wrote it out in manuscript form and and the history tells us that he stood in a pulpit like this and he had his manuscript before him. He never looked up at the audience, but he simply read his manuscript. And through that sermon, God began a great awakening in our nation. Today, we're enamored with those that can speak well. And sometimes we follow people who can speak well that have false theology. And so Paul is combating that. He understood the personal attacks that were upon him. He was attacked by, for his person. Again, in that 10th verse, it says that his personal presence was unimpressive. Now, they didn't have cameras in those days. I've never seen a picture of Paul. Uh, but in reading the writings of Scripture and things about Paul, you understand that he must not have been a man of great stature. The Bible says that he had a thorn in the flesh, and some think there was a problem with his eyes. He was not that kind of a person that when he stood in your presence that he was impressive by his personal stature. As I was reading that this week and studying about it, I remember J. Edwin Orr, a great historian who's now dead, talked about the Great Awakenings. He talked about a, a pastor, I believe his name was McCready, and he said this about him. He was so ugly that people would come and stop and listen to what he had to say. Personally, not impressive. But the power of God on his life. And so Paul understood that there was a, an attack, one that was false against him, and so he begins to combat these attack, attacks, and we will have false attacks on us, and here's some things we must do. We must approach the attackers with the attitude of Christ. Notice in verse 1, Now I, Paul myself, urge you, some translate it, beg you, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now, <clears throat> if we had time this morning and could read through all that, you'll find Paul understood his authority in Christ. He understood the power with which he had. He had no less power than what Peter had when Ananias and Sapphira come and lie about the offering that they were making. And because of that, Peter said, 
that they would fall down and die, and they did. Paul understood his authority as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. But even when we have power and authority, we don't have to use it. And so he says, I'm coming to you, I'm appealing to you, I'm begging you, I'm urging you in the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Well, what is meekness? A lot of times in our vernacular today, if we talk about somebody that's meek, we say that person is weak. He has no strength. He can't stand up against those things that are coming against him. But literally that word means controlled strength. If I were to ask you today, was, was Jesus weak, would you tell me, no, he was not weak. You, you, you would agree with me on that, right? And yet the Bible says that he was meek. We find that he says in, in Matthew, I believe it's chapter 29, that he says, Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and take my yoke upon you, I who am meek and lowly, and I'll give you rest. And so here's a man that was meek, and yet we see him in the beginning of his ministry and again at the end of his ministry, that he comes into the temple area, and there are those that are uh, the exchangers of money and sellers and He makes a whip and he drives them out. Certainly not the acts of a weak individual. He knew his authority. He knew who he was. He knew his power. And there on those two occasions, he cleansed the temple. Now there's a whole message in that and and a lot of misinterpretation of what that means. But here was a man that understood his authority and power. And so meekness is controlled strength. One person said, meekness epitomizes the strength that comes from loving others rather than self. Paul had a great love for the church at Corinth. He had a great love for those people, whether they came to know Christ under Apollos or whether they came to know Christ under him or someone else. Paul had a love for the church. Now, rather than coming in his, in his strength, he comes in meekness, and he comes with gentleness. Uh, gentleness uh, and that word meekness are really re- closely related. Meekness seems to show the attitude of how we're to act, but gentleness is the action itself. It's a a graciousness that comes out of being meek. One author said it shows a man that does not press for the last farthing of his rights. Paul knew his rights. Jesus understood his rights. You and I ought to know our rights. But sometimes there's a place that we come in meekness and gentleness rather than exercising the rights that we have. We live in a day today where we want our rights. But there's a place for being gentle in all that we do. So we're to approach the attackers with the attitude of Christ. We could look at other places for that, but we'll not do that this morning. We understand that Jesus, as the heavenly king, he is gentle as the one who has full power that he can have. 
understanding his power, understanding his rights, exercising meekness and gentleness. The second thing is we're to approach life with confidence in who we are. Now, I said Paul understood who he was. He, he knew his credentials before Christ. I want to read you and go into Philippians chapter 3, a passage that you're familiar with, but I want to read what Paul understood about his credentials before Christ. That is, before he knew Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble for me. And it is a safeguard for you. Beware the dogs, beware the evil workers, beware the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. So Paul said, here are my credentials. I had the best of all the credentials in Judaism. Everything that you would expect to find, I have them. So Paul understood his credentials before Christ. But he also understood his conversion in Christ. Acts chapter 9, you know the story. Paul is traveling. He has authority to go persecute the church. He's on the road, and as he there, Christ apprehends him. Gets his attention, a bright light shines around him. He begins to communicate with Paul, and who was then Saul, and said, Why do you kick against the goads? Why are you persecuting me? And through that experience, Paul came to know Christ, an experience that totally revolutionized his life. It didn't give him an improved life, it gave him a new life, and Paul never forgot that. So we have to understand, have confidence in who we are. You and I can look at our lives and we know who we were before Christ and we may have had the credentials like Paul or we may not have, but we know who we were before Christ. And today, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you can remember that time. You know what a difference it made when Christ came into your life and changed you. And Paul knew his calling in Christ. He was to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, I do want to go to Acts chapter 9 and verse 15. Because this was the criticism that Paul was receiving in Corinth. That he wasn't one of the super apostles. But in the 15th verse of Acts chapter 9. But the Lord said to Paul. Excuse me, he, he said to Ananias. Go for he is a chosen instrument of mine. To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So there was a call upon Paul's life. He wasn't sent to preach to the Jews. Peter was the apostle to the Jews. But God gave him an assignment, a calling, to go to the Gentiles. 
So this morning, as you and I make application to our life, we understand that we know who we were before Christ. We understand who we are through our conversion in Christ. And every one of us have a call upon our life. Some, it's a call uh, to stand in a pulpit and to preach. There are others that your call is to go to whatever vocation you have day by day, and there you live out the life of Christ in front of that audience that God has put you in. But you understand your calling of who God has made you to be. There's a third thing that we need to understand this morning, that is, to approach the attackers with the power of God. When Paul said that I urge you in the meekness and gentleness of Christ, he understood that they were saying that a lot of things that you do, you're just walking in the flesh. You're being fleshly. Paul understood the difference of being in the flesh but not warring according to the flesh. And so he begins to lay out that spiritual warfare that he was facing And he says in verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful. Power, he says, to tear down strongholds. Now here's what, what has happened in Corinth. Paul has come under the power of God, preached the gospel of Christ, the church is established, The enemies of Paul have come in and the enemies of the gospel have come in and they begin to create doubt, confusion, lack of confidence in Paul, undermining his leadership, and they're building strongholds in the church. Paul is using a military metaphor. We don't war in the flesh. Tearing down strongholds. So understand that when a Roman army would go to besiege a city, the one thing that they had to do to enter and to capture the city was to destroy, to pull down, to tear down the walls. And you and I will find that in our life, if we're not careful, Satan will come along and you know when you were saved and you know the truths of God and it's built there but he'll begin to bring in false teaching and those false teachings will begin to build a stronghold in your life and they're keeping the power of God out and Paul is saying that if we want to overcome that adversity in life we want to overcome those difficulties in life we want to overcome the tactics of Satan in our life We have to, through the divine power of God, pull down the strongholds. So my prayer this morning is that God will show us what the strongholds are in our life. That we might know what it is that has to be removed. What is it that needs to be destroyed in our life? What is it behind the walls that have been built up? Well, Paul describes some of them that were going on in Corinth. Uh, for the destruction of fortresses, he said, we are destroying speculations. It's a word that comes from a Greek word that means to reckon, reasonings. I, I remember when I was in seminary, and I think it was probably in a Greek class, but uh, there was a, the professor made this statement. 
He said, all of you preacher boys, when you stand, get a church, and when you're in the pulpit, at least once a year, you ought to preach a message so far over their head just so they know you can. And I got to thinking about that. What if, what if on that day that I was going to show you how smart I was, there was a lost person sitting in the audience, and he didn't understand a thing that I said. We sang a song that it's not about us, it's about him. So it's not about our intelligence, it's about his truth. It's about his power. And so there are all kinds of reasoning and speculations. And if you watch TV, and I'm sure you do, that seems to be the perfect pastime for many of us. And there's all kinds of speculations. If you watch uh, the news about uh, what's going on in politics, all kinds of speculations, imaginations, reasonings. And so Satan had sent the enemy into the church to begin to get people to speculate, to reason, not sticking to the truth of God's Word. So behind that fortress were these speculations. And Paul said, by the mighty power of God, you've got to tear that down. And the power to destroy lofty things raised against the knowledge of God... Uh, this idea of some super intelligence. Now, I know this is a university town, and, and our students, Freedom's on, uh, off this week, spring break and whatever. And I know one of the things when they come, they come to get knowledge. And they need to get knowledge. But knowledge without God's wisdom is dangerous. And so sometimes we like to have knowledge to show our intellect, show how smart we are. And it really doesn't matter how smart we are. If God's power is not upon it, it means nothing. So there were those lofty things that were raised. And notice this, they were being raised against the knowledge of God. The one thing the enemy wants to do in your life and mine is to make us doubt God's truths. To misinterpret, misapply the knowledge of God. But then here's the last thing that Paul said. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Taking every thought captive. Again, a military metaphor. Have you noticed that it's hard to cut, turn the mind off? That we're always thinking something, aren't we? I think Shirley's here somewhere. She may get in a little late. I don't see her. But she always says, what are you thinking? I said, I'm not thinking anything. She said, yes, I can. I see it in your eyes. The mind, the brain is an interesting thing. It is constantly at work. And so Paul said there are thoughts that come into life. And you need to take hold of them. Take them captive. Because you know some thoughts that come are not thoughts that come from God. 
And we need to be able to take those thoughts captive. I remember that Proverbs chapter 23 verse 7 said, As a man thinks, so is he. So you and I today, that whatever we allow to come into our life, the thoughts that we allow to come into our consciousness, and we entertain those thoughts and give room for those thoughts, if they're not of God, they're going to have an impact on our life. They're going to cause us to move away from God and from His truths. And Paul was facing that in, in the Corinthian church. There were those that were undermining and destroying the truths that he had laid down. He understood the battle. He understood that there was a fortification, there was a fortress that had been built in the lives of those believers, and somehow God, through his power and his spirit, had to tear them down. And you and I will find that sometimes... We become casual about God's things. We become careless. And when we become casual or careless and we don't capture the thoughts and we entertain them, those thoughts turn into actions. And Satan begins to build those walls in our life. And one day we wake up and say, how did I get where I am? You know when Satan lays that first block? If you and I will remove it, it never becomes a wall, a fortress. But with time, he will build a fortress in our life. And he'll put things in that fortress that are very difficult to remove. But through the power, the mighty power of God, Paul says, they can be done. I want you to bow your head with me for a moment this morning and understand that this morning God has a call upon your life. If you've never come to know Christ, then today's the day to do that. Give your life to Jesus because he, will ha he has the power to allow you to live for him the way that God wants you to. Eternal life and abundant life in this earth. But for those of us that know Christ, the challenge is will we walk in his power? We understand that the battle is there, that it's not just a battle against the individual, it's a battle against the corporate body of the church. And Satan's desire is to destroy this church and every church like it that preaches the gospel. And when adversity comes in your life, whether it's in the corporate setting, understand that God has a plan for how through his spiritual authority and power and, and weapons that he can give you a victory. Father, today I pray that you would help us, first of all, never let Satan build those strongholds in our life. That we would recognize what he's doing. And through your power, the building blocks of the walls would be removed. But Father, if we've come to today, 
And we recognize that there's a stronghold built in our life uh, that because we were unaware, careless, casual in life, and we've allowed it to happen, would we make a determination today that through the divine power of God, we're going to tear it down. We're going to remove it and everything behind it so that we might live for you. We ask it in Christ's name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, the music's going to play. Uh, The staff will be standing here at the front. And if you need to make a decision for Christ, you come.